Greetings and welcome to the worship services of Alamo First Baptist Church. I'm Brother Chris Rigby. I'm standing here this morning in front of our bell. This is the original bell that was at our old location uh, years ago. It uh, was there when the church was first built and it was always a call to worship. Well, when we moved to our new campus here several years ago, we brought it with us. And not too long ago, we got to put it up. We're so excited about it because it reminds us that we're coming together into this building to worship. And we are excited that today you've decided to tune in to our broadcast to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our prayer this morning is that you will see the great love that Jesus has for you and the great love that we have for you as well this morning as we worship together. We look forward to meeting you and your family and we invite you to be a part of any of our worship services, our activities or ministries here and if you'd like to get in touch with us, probably the best way to do that is just drop us a line at our email address, alamofirstbaptist at gmail.com. All of it spelled out, just gmail.com, alamofirstbaptist. We look forward this morning to worshiping with you. We pray God's blessings upon you and your family as we go inside now and we worship together. Let's go ring that bell for Jesus.
Thank you. Thank you, praise team. And uh, good morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. Well, uh, I, I don't actually see you. You're online, but I believe you're there. And in faith, I see you. <laughs> it, it's uh, good to be with you worshiping. We're ready to uh, kind of get some things open back up. And we're going to start probably doing a soft open uh, in February. We'll let you know a little bit more about that. Uh, and then open a little more in, uh, in March. And my goal, personal goal, hopeful, that uh, by April, the first Sunday in April, Easter Sunday, uh, we'll be back to Sunday school and open completely back up. Hopefully by then, most everyone will have had uh, the second round of vaccines and the numbers are down and the, the pressure's off our, our medical providers and, and some things are better. So keep praying for that. Uh, to go in that direction. A couple of prayer concerns this morning that I want to update you on. We mentioned last week uh, Harold and Linda Robbins. Uh, Harold has improved. Uh, there's a, a little bit of confusion, I think, left over from some of the swelling that uh, has happened from COVID. But he's at the Bells Nursing Home, and he's doing a little bit better, but continues uh, to improve, but needs, needs prayers. Linda uh, has had a struggle with the, the breathing, and her oxygen level. And I know that yesterday they were looking at perhaps needing to put her in the ICU unit. Now, I did talk to Linda this morning, and she's not there yet. She's real weak, uh, but she's still on the oxygen, I think, uh, uh, basically through the nose yet, uh, where they put it right there. She's not on the BiPAP. They had put that on her, and that was kind of uh, frustrating. And so uh, she's she was doing all right this morning, just real, real weak, uh, real discouraged. So just lift up Linda particularly, uh, and I, I encourage her to keep on fighting because we love her and Harold, and we want to see them get better. Also, I had a chance to, to visit and pray with uh, Miss Helen Edelman Friday. I, I don't really have an update this morning about the condition of her son, Jerry, Jerry Edelman. Jerry uh, and his wife, they live in Tampa, Florida, and Jerry's health has been kind of uh, uh, going downhill for several years. He, I know that he takes dialysis uh, uh, every week, and then he's had some heart issues, but he was in pretty serious condition on Friday, and they weren't sure if Jerry was going to make it through the night. And I think uh, while I was there with uh, Helen, they did uh, call and say they were able to get a feeding tube in, and that they were hoping that if he had some food uh, and he was able to keep that on his stomach, that, that there would be some improvement there. So uh, I've not had an update, but Jerry Edelman, I want to pray that uh, his health could rebound and uh, just be with uh, his wife and then Miss Helen as well. And then Brian lost his aunt. She's been on our prayer list. Uh, Ida Pierce, she's been battling COVID. Uh, the funeral will be sometime this week. And uh, just keep Brian and his family uh, in uh, your prayers as well. Um, continue just to monitor what's on uh, social media and uh, our uh, newsletter and web uh, bulletin website. We'll kind of keep you posted on everything that's going on that uh, we plan to be doing or what's happening. Uh, continue to pray for our church and for our community as we uh, go through this time and our nation as well. We are going to continue to be taking up for Lottie Moon, not only through the month of January, but in February also, and so uh, encourage you to give. I, I know the last total that I had was a little over $6,100. Our goal is 15000 so uh, we're not quite halfway there yet, so I know that you'll come through and that you'll give. 
we got another video this morning. Uh, we want you to see what your giving to Lonnie Moon does. So uh, at the conclusion of that, we'll have a word of prayer. For many weeks, our churches have been unable to have physical gatherings. But by God's mercy, the Church of Jesus Christ continues. The Southern Baptist Convention continues. For 175 years, we have pressed forward together through wars, disasters, plagues, economic downturns, and political upheavals. Our effort of proclaiming Christ around the world has never stopped. Your support, your prayers, your gifts, all of us working together as the body of Christ have kept our missionaries on the field over the decades and keeps them there now. God is at work around the world in the most amazing ways. And he is using you, your family, and your church to help your missionaries, our missionaries, as they move forward with the gospel. The Derbyshires partner with churches in the United States to lead mobile clinics all over Thailand, using medicine as a means to share the gospel with those who have no other access. Christ is proclaimed, disciples are made, and churches are planted. In Kenya, IMB missionary Kristen Lowry believes the very best place for a child is in a family. That is why she is working alongside national Kenyan partners to rescue boys living on the streets, restore their lives, provide shelter, a trade, physical and spiritual nourishment and reunite them with their families. The Worthy family has recognized the importance of investing in relationships and in Italian culture, which is why they have planted their lives in Italy for the past 17 years. College students have dropped the term hard places from their vocabulary and are responding to go anywhere in the world where people don't have access to the gospel. We treasure Jesus and his gospel above all. But let us remember, we are not called to hoard the gospel, but to herald it far and wide. We are not called to stockpile the gospel, but to send it forth to those yet in darkness that they may see the light of Jesus Christ and live.
All right, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for our time in worship together. And Lord, we do look forward to that uh, Sunday where we can get back together and uh, begin to reopen and be in each other's presence and be in your presence together. And Lord, we pray for that. We continue to pray for our community. We pray for our nation, our state. Lord, as we continue to go through this pandemic, we pray particularly this morning for our health care uh, workers and providers, Lord, we know that uh, the resources, we know the facilities, we know that the care has been stretched to uh, a very thin and uh, stressful place, Lord. And uh, we just continue to pray that the, the curve can get bent back down with the number of cases and the number of exposures and the number of people in the hospital. Lord, we do pray this morning for uh, Harold and Linda and continue to pray for their health. And, and Lord, we pray that Linda uh, improves and at least can get out of the hospital uh, and perhaps maybe be back uh, with uh, uh, Harold at some point, uh, even if it's uh, there in the nursing home. We pray for their family as they uh, give the care that they give uh, for their parents. We love them and we just lift them up to you. Uh, Lord, we lift up Brian's family and their loss. And we also pray for Miss Helen uh, and for the needs going on with her son, Jerry. Lord, all these things and the others that are on our prayer list, those that uh, be having some surgery this week and, and just the general things uh, in our community and church, we lift up to you. Lord, this morning, draw us close to you as we draw uh, close to you in, in worship and in, in praise and in your word. Speak to our hearts. God, lead us and direct us that we may glorify you in every way. In your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. Who yielded his life and atonement for sin. And opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord. 
Aren't you glad that God does good things for his children? I know that there's a, a lot of uh, uncertainty in our world today, but we can always understand and remember that we have a good, good father. He'll never leave us or forsake us.
Amen. And uh, it's always good to remember God is always good to us. I know we go through trials and tribulations here on this earth, but uh, we can always understand and remember that, that God is always with us.
continually amazes me that, that God loves me in spite of who I am, in spite of uh, all I've done, all I've, all I've sinned against him. God continually forgives us. He renews that fellowship. He pursues us. And uh, it doesn't matter what the world says. It's who God says we are. God, we come before you again this morning. We thank you 
that we can be called your children, not because of anything that we have done, but because of your grace, your mercy, your uh, redemptive search for us. And you came to look for us. When we were not searching for you, you came to us. And we just uh, we can never say thank you enough. We can never do anything to earn that. It is simply by your grace when we ask you to forgive us of our sins and to be our Lord and our Savior and to guide us for all eternity. We just thank you for the privilege that we have of being called your child, Lord God. We thank you and we love you. We ask it all in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, praise team. Take your copy of God's Word this morning. I pray that you have it. Open to Genesis chapter 3. We're in our series, Our Ancient Foe, Satan, the Devil. And uh, we've said that, you know, it's really important that we understand, of course, who our enemy is. Just as important as it is to understand our uh, wonderful God and Creator, uh, the keeper of our heart and our soul and our life. It's also to, important to understand that we have an enemy that wants to defeat us in this life. And we've been looking at him, and we'll look uh, at uh, this uh, enemy uh, for the next several weeks together. We've talked about who he is. We said that Satan, or the devil, was the highest angel, uh, the the most splendid angel that God ever created. And, of course, he sinned against God. He rebelled against God. We spoke last week about the war in heaven, which you might call uh, uh, heaven war number one. And we said, of course, at the uh, conclusion of this series, we'll talk about a, a second war that takes place in heaven between Satan and God. Uh, that's in the book of Revelation. That uh, comes at the end of basically uh, what God gives us as uh, history in this world. And uh, we said, you know, in that first war, Satan lost his uh, position uh, to be the chief angel that handled the praise and worship of God. He also lost his position. He was cast out of heaven and here upon earth. And in that uh, second war that we'll look at later on, we're going to see that he'll lose all of his power, uh, and then all that he has remaining is the punishment that God will give him for his sin and rebellion. So we've looked at Satan, who he is, uh, we've looked at that war. Now this morning, I want us to turn to a familiar passage, Genesis 3, and I want us to look at Satan in the garden. It's a familiar passage because it's uh, the story of Adam and Eve. It is the story of the fall there in the garden. And I, I want to say that as we come to this part, this is really the first scene of Satan uh, in human history. Uh, it's his first connection with mankind. And, and what we're going to learn on the front end of this first connection is really how he continues to work today. So let's look at verses 1 through 7, and then uh, we'll be, go back and, and, and look at those verses in more detail uh, in the message. And so God tells us in, in verse 1 of chapter 3, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say 
You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, well, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst or in the middle of the garden, and neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the Lord, Well, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she gave also some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloth. Well, this is Satan's first contact in human history with mankind. And as I said, we're going to learn something about his nature and something about his motive and something about how he continues to work even today in and against us and our life being lived out for the Lord. Now, I want to say something on the front end of the message this morning. I want to do a short introduction that's really God-focused. The main part of the message today is really going to be Satan-focused, and then we'll come back to conclude on the God-focus at the conclusion of the message. But the message today really is more of a look at Satan than it is a look to God. And, and I, I want you to know that so that as we go through this, uh, you can see where we're wanting to go and, and, and what we're wanting to accomplish. Because again, I, I, most of the time our focus when we come together in worship is to look up to heaven, to look to God, to look to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to exalt Him and to specifically focus in on Him. But there are times where we focus our attention perhaps on a sin or a stumbling or an issue that we need to, to deal with. Uh, in the Word of God and in our lives. And then sometimes we need to look at the dark forces uh, themselves, our enemies. And that's one of those mornings uh, that we have uh, together today. But when I think about the, the focus of God, uh, first of all, I want to give you what I call the four spiritual laws. And this is going to apply to what I give you about Satan in just a moment. When I was a young person growing up at uh, First Baptist in Jackson, we always would have mission projects that we would be gearing up for. One year we were getting ready to go to the Youth Evangelism Conference. We were going to be doing a musical. We were going to be doing uh, some uh, acting and puppetry and some other things in the breakout conferences. We were one of the churches that were to lead some of the worship for the breakout conferences. And I, you know, I was amazed when we got there as one of the youth for First Baptist that, you know, there were going to be, you know, a thousand young people in one of the, the churches there watching us tell them about Jesus through music, song, and, and, and drama. But one of the things that our youth leaders did is they wanted us to know uh, how to lead someone to Christ in a deeper relationship with Christ. And one of the things they carried us through and taught us was that, that, that spiritual track called the Four Spiritual Laws. And you might remember those. And I remember those as a kid 
uh, that as I learned them as a young person. Uh, and let me give them to you real quickly. Number one, God loves you and created you to know him personally. The word of God tells us that, that God loves us. John 3, 16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then we're also told in the Word of God that God has a plan for us. John 17, verse 3. Uh, now this is eternal life that you may know that the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent uh, uh, has died for us. Uh, and, uh, and so God has a plan for our life. And so God loves us and created us to know Him. The second spiritual law is this. Man is sinful and separated from God and we cannot know Him personally our experience is love. Why? Because man is sinful. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And even though we were created to have fellowship with God, we are in rebellion against God by our nature and by our actions. And we are in a broken relationship with holy God. And man is separated. Those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will be punished with an everlasting destruction and shut out of the presence of the Lord, 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 8 and 9. And in those four spiritual laws, there's a graphic that they, that's given, one maybe you've seen before. It is sinful man reaching up towards holy God, but unable to grab hold of God. So God is holy, man is sinful, there's a great gulf between the two. And that's the second spiritual law. God loves us, man is sinful. Number three Jesus Christ is God's only provision, only hope for man's sin, and through Him we can know God personally and therefore experience God's love. And in that we learn that He died in our place. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated His own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then we also learn in the Word of God that Christ not only died but rose again. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And on the third day, according to the Scriptures, according to Peter, according to the Twelve, according to more than 500, the book of Acts tells us, in uh, Corinthians tells us, He rose again. And so we have that testimony that He rose again. And finally, He is the way to God. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there you have the first three laws. Uh, God loves us. God has a plan for our life. Man is sinful and separated from God. Jesus is the way of hope. He is the only way to eternal life. And God uh, sent His Son to die on the cross for us that we can have eternal life. And then finally, the fourth spiritual law is that it's not just enough to know these truths. You have to act on them. We must individually receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and then and only then can we truly experience the love of God and the relationship with God. That is, we have to make a step of faith. We must receive Christ. John 1, 12, as many as receive Him, uh, to them He gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in His name. We must receive Christ through faith. John 3, uh, verses 1 through 8, by grace have you been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works that you might would boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we receive Christ uh, through faith by that grace act that he committed. And then finally, 
we must receive the personal invitation. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, uh, opens the door, I will come in and, of course, be the Savior that they need. And so there you have it, the four spiritual laws. I learned those as a young person. Uh, perhaps you've uh, 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 heard those of yourself maybe sometime in your life. Maybe today's the first time you've ever heard what we call the four spiritual laws. God loves you, has a plan for your life. Man is sinful and separated from holy God. Jesus came and died for our sins. And four, everybody individually must do something about their relationship with God and give their heart to Christ in a step of faith and trust and invite him into their life. Those are the four spiritual laws. If you've not done something in your life uh, uh, in that way towards God, then their friend, you don't have a relationship with God and you are living under the danger of eternal judgment and eternal death and separation from God. Now, I wanted you to know those four spiritual laws because those are the ones that we typically preach and talk about and highlight when we worship God together. But this morning, I want to show you that what Satan does in his attack and his, his work against us is he, you know, really there's, Satan can't come up with anything on his own. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever read through the Word of God? It's like he can't have an original idea. You know, he wants to be the top dog. He wants to submit God. He wants to remove and take God's place and be the, the main one that, that, that people worship and honor. But yet, I want to go, you know, you don't even deserve it because you can't even come up with an original idea. Satan basically comes up with his own laws, what I want to call the four satanic laws. And I almost call the message today uh, the four satanic laws of Satan. And we're going to look at those because that's the primary part of the message. But think about this. I mean, Satan tries to uh, counterfeit the church. Satan tries to uh, counterfeit Christ. There are those uh, pre-shadows of what we call the Antichrist throughout uh, history. But the Bible also says in the last days there will be one figure who will uh, set himself up and proclaim himself to be the Christ. Satan can't even have an original idea. He just can only copy what God has done so beautifully uh, in creation and in his uh, sovereign hand of work. And so when it comes to tempting Adam and Eve, he basically uh, comes up with a new set of laws to work against us and to work against God, what I call the four satanic laws. And so we looked at last week how Satan threw off all wise discretion. He plunged into unrighteousness and sin in his open rebellion against God. And what I want you to see today is he now chooses to escalate that conflict with God. He's going to step it up to a notch. You see, admitting that he was defeated would be too humbling for him. And he thought, well, if, if this is the road I've, I'm going down, well, why not go ahead and forge ahead and let's just do everything that I can uh, against God. I told you last week, I think the week before that, he is all chips in on the poker table. He has played the full gamble uh, of, uh, of this war against God. So how can Satan strike back at God? You know, it really wasn't much of a war. We said, you know, last week, it really wasn't a, a big battle. I mean, Satan did all this stuff. We looked at a, a lot of the things that he did, uh, that Ezekiel tells us that he did. And God pretty well just said, you know what, you sin, 
get out, you know, and, and he was removed from heaven. He was removed from the presence of God. He was under the judgment of God, just really not, you know, in a spoken quick word of God the Father. It, it really wasn't much of a war, but how can he strike back against God? How can he hurt God? Well, if, if you've ever wanted to hurt someone that's hurt you, and you can't quite get to them, human reason tells you what? Well, hurt someone they love. And sometimes we see that happen in, the, in a cruel and, and violent world in which we live in, that people hurt people by hurting people they love. Well, that's what Satan does. He comes against man. He comes against Adam and Eve, and he attacks. And so the goal here is to create a rival kingdom over and against God's kingdom to take and steal away the hearts and minds of people. I also think it's important before we get to these four satanic laws to remind you what Jesus said about uh, Satan uh, at this juncture. You remember when Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and he was speaking about Satan? He said, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, Jesus said, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, later on, Jesus tells us uh, the difference between him and Satan. John 10, verse 10, he says the thief, and that's Satan, of course, that Jesus is talking about, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, yet I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So there you have it. Satan's motive is murder. His method is to lie. And he wants nothing more than to defeat and destroy uh, that which God loves, and that's you. And so he wants to bring death. He wants to bring physical death where he can. He wants to bring spiritual death where he can. He wants to bring eternal death where he can. You know, it breaks my heart the number of people particularly young people who have bought into the lies of Satan. Well, what are those lies? What is it that Satan tells us? Well, particularly they are the things about God that are not right, the things about God that are incorrect. And he wants to change our view, our opinion, our thought about God. And let me just say, as we're getting now ready to go into those four satanic laws uh, or lives of Satan, that his lives have not changed. All these thousands of years since the Garden of Eden, since Adam and Eve were the first human beings to walk upon this old planet Earth and to first be introduced to Satan, his lives hadn't changed. You come to this modern age, this modern age of automobiles that drive themselves and computers that you can hold in your hand and, 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 and do unbelievable calculations and and, and processing, even in our modern age of media and, and technology and travel, Satan's lies are the same. You know, someone said a long time ago, every good lie has a little bit of truth in it. And that's the way Satan kind of works. He, he takes the truth and he twists it. You know, someone said this, even a clock that doesn't run can be right twice a day. Well, you have to be careful with Satan. The cleverest lies sound most like the truth, and he's a master liar, and he lies about the biggest thing that you can lie about, and that's God himself. Now, there are a lot of things that 
that, that, that sometimes we might get wrong, and it's not really that big a deal. You know, we can be wrong about what, what's the best food, or the best music, or the best art, or even what is the better political party. I don't think there is one, but we, we, could, we could argue one probably and be wrong about it. Well, what TV show uh, is the best show out there? There's all kinds of things we could argue about as to where they should be in, in terms of being the best is. But the truth is, it's really not a big deal. You get those things wrong, it's, it's not that big a deal, is it? But to be wrong about God makes us, what, horribly and terribly wrong. And it's a tragic, tragic mistake. And that's where Satan wants to get us, uh, uh, I want to say, tripped up at. And there are a lot of lies out there that are bad. And, and there are a lot of lies out there that, that they're wrong, but they're not just the end of the world. And, and then there are lies out there that are horribly wrong and terrible lies. Uh, you know, for example, maybe you've uh, uh, had someone that had a baby, you know, they, they came up and, and they had their baby in their arms or a little uh, a buggy or something. And you look at that baby and the first thing you think is, man, that's an ugly baby. But you look at that mom and you go, oh, they're so precious. And that's, a, that's what we call one of those little white lies because we don't want to tell them the truth that that's just a horribly ugly baby because we won't want to hurt that mama's feelings. Now, I don't really think Satan cares all that much about that. And I'm not saying that to say a lie, even a little white lie like that, is not something that's maybe wrong. Maybe there's a better way to phrase it than to say something that you really don't believe. But that's not what we're talking about this morning. We're not talking about Satan giving us little white lies or Satan telling us little, you know, little bitty half-truths that, that don't really matter. No, no, what Satan is talking about here is our connection and our relationship with God. So this is the worst kind of lies that we're going to talk about. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite preachers of old, said this, No religion can rise higher than its concept of God. And so if we get it wrong about God, then folks, we get it wrong. We get it wrong about life. We get it wrong about everything. No personal faith relationship can rise higher than what it believes about God. And if we're going to be accurate about God, we have to know the truth of God. And so Satan wants to get us off track. He wants to tell us something that's not true. Well, what are those things? And so let me give them to you real quickly. Number one, Here's what Satan says. We should doubt God's loving goodness. Notice what he says in verse 1. The serpent, more crafty than any other beast of the field. I think that's probably why Satan chose the serpent to indwell in. That the Lord had made, said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now what was Satan doing here? He was attempting to get Eve to doubt God's loving goodness. Is God really good? Does God really love you in that way? Is he really good? Has Satan ever tempted you to doubt God's goodness? Sure he has. I guarantee you at some point there's been a time in your life where Satan has come to you and said, God isn't really all that good. Satan tries to get Eve to think negatively about God. Satan was whispering in her ear, God is so straight-laced. God is so cruel. Anytime he sees you having a good time, he just likes to come in and break it up. 
He's a cosmic killjoy. Has he ever whispered that in your ear? You know, the truth of the matter is that God, he does love us. And God is good. And, and he wants for you and I to enjoy the, the blessings of this world, the pleasures of this life. Don't get the idea that to be a Christian means that you've got to somehow live under the penalty of God or the penalty of heaven. Don't get the idea that to be a Christian means that you can have no joy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have joy. And listen, not just a little joy or some joy, but have it abundantly full joy. To have maximum joy. The good news is that, that God is good. I want to tell you, I would be a Christian even if there was no hell, and there is. I, I would tell you that I would be a Christian uh, even if I didn't have to worry about judgment, and I do just like you do. To be a Christian means to, to enjoy the good things that God wants to give. God had given Eve and Adam so very much. They had a whole garden. Anything and everything there that they could possibly want, possibly need, possibly have enjoyment from, God gave them to. Everything God created, God said, is good. And really, the, 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 the scholars tell us that the Hebrew, that word means it was very good. I mean, think about this. God is telling us that what he made was very good like God could make anything that was less than very good. I mean, you know, there, you ever known the kid uh, at school that was just, you know, the straight-A, super smart, brainy kid? They'd take a test, and you'd say, well, what would you make on your test? And, and they, you know, they'd say, well, I made a good grade. And you go, well, what was it? And they go, oh, it was 105. You know, like, I've never even seen 100. You, know, you, you, you got to go over 100, you know. God to say something very good is to say it's very good by my standard. You know, and God's standard is way above ours. God gave Adam and Eve so very much. Now, Satan doesn't point that out, does he? He wants to point out the one thing God said they were not to partake of. You know, the truth is God is good to us all the time. God is good to us all the time. And, and listen, when I invite you to Christ, I'm not inviting you to some funeral for your life, to, to, to go through life in a, 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 a funeral dirge type of way of living. It, it's to come to the full blessings of God. But Satan says, he says, Eve, he says to you, God's not really good. You, don't, you, you know he's not good. And he wants you to doubt the goodness of God. A second lie is this. We should deny God's living truthfulness. Listen to verses 2 and 4. And the woman says to the serpent, well, wait a minute. What you're saying, I don't really believe. We, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. In other words, she's saying, well, yeah, God is good. Look around. But God said you should not eat of the, the, the tree that's in the midst of the garden, in the middle of the garden. Now, Eve makes a mistake here. She adds something to what God says. She says... And you shall not even touch it, lest you die. God didn't say you shouldn't touch it. He said don't eat of it. There was no touching involved in it, but Eve is added to that. He did say that once you do, you will die. And the serpent then says to the woman, you will not surely die. 
What we find here is Satan denying God's living truthfulness. In other words, he's not truthful. Not only does he plant the seed of doubt, he now begins to get the, the plant of denial to grow in the heart of Eve. You're not going to die. It is a categorical denial of the truth that God had given and outlined to Adam and Eve. He said, on the day that you eat, you will die. Look, the greatest insult that any creature can offer up to God is to say that God's a liar, that God is not truthful. Listen, everything that God says and everything that God uh, shows us is true, and always true. Satan has accused God of deception. How significant it is that the one who came to deceive, the one whose very nature is to deceive, should charge the holy, righteous God of heaven with being a distorter and perverter of truth. It is a slander against the character of God. And what we have here in the opening statements of Satan in the Bible is not only can you put a question mark next to God and doubt him, you can, you can uh, wash over his holy name and you can blaspheme him, him as being a liar to us. And so uh, you know, here we see Satan attacking God and getting Eve to think differently the seed of doubt has been planted denial is beginning to grow and we live in that world listen in our modern world truth is under assault we have so many substitutes today for truths i was just thinking about all the different ones that exist today you know for example let me give you four real quickly there's a thing called relative relativism you say well what is that well Today, there are those who believe in relativism, and they say all truth is relative. In other words, what you believe is related to your life and what's going on in your life. And you can believe whatever you want to believe as it relates to you. It's all relative to what's going on in the world. You know, uh, and they use this to explain, well, this is how years ago uh, people explained, for example, slavery, and today they look at slavery different. Truth's just relevant. It's just relevant to the circumstances of the day and to the hearts and minds of people today. Then there's those who say that truth is subjective. That is, it comes by way of our experience. Uh, how we experience what we experience, we can decide through our own kind of subjective, selective way what we want to believe is true or not. There's rationalism. And there are those that today say, well, truth is kind of like uh, that thing which we can prove. In other words, we, we, we must be able to put it in a lab and prove it in some kind of scientific method. And if we can prove it scientifically in that method, well, then it's a truth. If not, then it's not truth. And finally, there's what is called postmodern. And, and this is the newest one that's kind of uh, that's really re-risen today. It's not new. It's just kind of come to the forefront again today. And that's basically there simply isn't any real truth. In other words, there isn't a thing, quote, an unquote, truth 
for people to believe in. That's, that's what Satan has done in our world today, in the hearts and the minds of people. And yet God has said to us, His Word is truth. His Word is the living law by which we are lived by and are judged by. And, and we need to understand that, that we're living in a world that, that Satan is still attacking the truth of God. And, and our kids are, are under attack. And we spent all, most of last year, you, you know, the, all, the, all the sermons are online. You can go back and watch those. We spent most of last year talking about the different truths of God, His standards that this world has rejected, that we need to understand God has spoken on those things. And in the end, dear friend, his word stands. Psalm 11 verse 3 says, But if the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? If we lose the truth of God, then dear friend, what hope is there in this world? And so I want you to see that's lie number two. We should deny God's truthful, living truthfulness. And number three, we should defy God's loving righteousness. Verse 4, the serpent said, you will not surely die. God is not only not good, Satan says. God is not only not truthful. Now Satan is saying God is not holy. Genesis 2.17 is the command that God gives to Adam and Eve when he says don't eat of the tree. In the, in the moment that you do, you will die. Now, friend, that's not advice. That was a command of God. They broke the command. They broke their holiness, their standing of holiness before God. Now, there's a gospel of the devil as well as there are gospel, there's a gospel of God. I gave you the gospel of God earlier. The gospel of the devil primarily says this, God doesn't punish sin. But the gospel of God is God, who is holy, judges unrighteousness. And we need to understand that. Abraham Lincoln was a real wise man we know from history. And he had kind of a homey way of putting things sometimes and explaining things to people so that they could understand it. There's a story that's told that, that one time he saw a young fella, a young boy, and he said, Son, let me ask you a question. If a dog has four legs and you call his tail a leg, how many legs would the dog have? young boy thought about it and said, well, I guess he'd have five. And uh, Abraham Lincoln said, no, son, he'd still have four. No matter what you call his tail, it's still a tail. You can call his tail a leg if you want to, but he'll always have just four legs and a tail. No matter what people have to say about hell, no matter what people have to say about sin, listen, hell and sin, God has said he shall... Uh, uh, are, are part of his punishment and judgment upon man. Satan knows that man fears death. Satan knew that Eve feared death. And when he says, you're not going to die, he's not just questioning the goodness of God and challenging the, the truthfulness of God. He is, he is now defying the righteousness of God and the fact that God would actually judge sin. Well, did Adam and Eve die? Well, the moment that they ate of that tree, they did die. Now, they didn't die 
physically in that moment, but they died spiritually. They were cut off from God. As a matter of fact, when they heard God coming, the Bible tells us they hid themselves. They knew they were naked. They knew they were uh, uh, shameful before God. They were dead spiritually. We also know that later on they died physically. And we also know that God had to do something for them eternally. God covered them in a blood covering, which was a forward-looking picture of his sacrifice that he would give of himself through his son Jesus. Their faith of receiving that blood covering uh, was their way of receiving Christ as best they could understand what God's purpose and plan was. But God was providing for their eternal salvation. Because you see, when they ate of that tree, they didn't just die spiritually, and they wouldn't just later die physically, they would also die eternally separated from God. All those things happened when? The moment they ate. The moment they gave into temptation and sin. What Satan had told them was a lie. And what Satan tells us is a lie. God is holy and God is righteous. And we need to understand he is holy and righteous. And when Satan says he's not, we need to say, oh, wait a minute. You lie. You are lying. Now, there's a fourth satanic law, and let me give it to you. It's this, that we should demean God's lasting greatness. Look in verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now here's what Satan says. Eve, the only way to know anything, really know it, is to experience it. That's the only way to know it. That's the best teacher. You know, experience is the best teacher, some people say. We get the idea that in order to find out what something is, whether it's good or not, we have to really try it. And that was what Satan was saying. Now the reason why so many young people have their lives wrecked and ruined today and are sucked down in the swirling sewers of sin is because they've decided that the best way to live life is through experimentation. And they've experimented with sin. Let me ask you something. You ask the the alcoholic, you ask the, the, the drug addict, was it worth experimenting with drugs? I'm talking about the one that knows they're an addict the ones that's been in and out of rehab, the ones who have been in and out of their families' homes uh, because they uh, uh, keep getting uh, uh, back into drugs and, and, and I mean, have, have lost their education and their family and their, 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 their prospects and their jobs and their finances. I mean, you ask the ones that have been seriously damaged by the experimentation with drugs, you ask them, was it worth knowing the lesson and they, all of them would say all of them would say i wish i'd have never took the first hit i wish i'd have never taken the first drink i wish i'd have never taken that first drug or that first smoke because now i can't i can't get out from the the, the grip of it satan doesn't tell you the full full hurt of sin and temptation does he he just tells you the the pleasant part. He just tells you the glamorous part. And, and did the tree look good? It did. Eve tells us. It, it, was, it was a good-looking tree. It had good-looking fruit on it. 
did it look like something she would want to eat? Absolutely. But was it good for her? No. And the moment that she ate, sin would come in her life. Death would come in. And, and see, he was demeaning the, the, the lasting greatness of God. Hebrews 3.13 talks about the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, but exhort one another every day as long as uh, uh, is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Those who know the very least about sin are those who've been blinded by it. They're deep in the sin. And they've come to a place now where the Bible says they have a reprobate mind and heart. There are many today who are drowning in sin. They can't tell up from down and good from bad, bitter from sweet, sweet from bitter, light from darkness, darkness from light, good from evil, evil from good. They, they can't make sense of anything because sin has overtaken them. And they've bought into the lie that, 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 that the greatness of God can somehow be demeaned and rejected as not really being what's best for life. So let me just say that what we find in Genesis 3 this morning is that, that Satan's a liar. That's who he is. Jesus said he's the father of lies. You're never more like Satan than when you lie. And you're never more like Satan when you buy into the lie. But the good news for us this morning is this, that while Satan's a liar, God is a truth giver. And God's way is the way of truth. And God over and against the satanic lies of Satan has given the satanic, uh, given spiritual laws that gives life. And what are those? That God loves you. That God loves you and has a plan for your life. You may not even have a plan for tomorrow. But I want to tell you, God has a plan for your eternity. God has a will and a want for you. Heard a sermon this week. I was sharing part of the illustration this morning with one of our praise team members is a beautiful illustration on being chosen of God and the preacher was preaching and he was he was talking about uh, a writer who was writing about being picked and chosen uh, when he was a kid for for like you know baseball you remember the community baseball games you'd have kickball games you ever remember those uh, times where you know the two best or the oldest kids would pick the, the teams to play each other. And it was always that first or second kid that went first. They were the best athletes, you know. Everybody wanted them on the team. And then he went on to say there was those players that towards the end they were slow or couldn't catch or wasn't really all athletic. And just to kind of get the picking over with, they'd start picking two at a time. And they'd say, well, okay, I'll take those two. You take those two. And, and that's kind of the way it would go. And then they'd get to those final kids. You know, the kids that they actually started bargaining with each other over. All right, if I've got to take that one, then you've got to take this one. And, and the writer was like, I hate to say it, but that's usually the one I was. I always wanted to be the, the one picked first. The pastor I was listening to went on to preach that message. He said, can I tell you something? God has chosen you. The God of eternity, the God of glory has picked you chosen you. Isn't that good news? I want to tell you this morning, God loves you. God has a plan for you. But I'm going to tell you the spiritual law number two is that, that, that man is sinful. I, you don't need for me to tell you you're a sinner this morning. 
You don't even need for me to take the Word of God to open it up and read book, read verse and chapter to, to, to talk about the sin of your life. God gave each one of us a conscience. I know when I'm not doing it right. I know when I'm not said the right thing, thought the right thing. I know when I'm wrong. And when I begin to just take what my conscience, my human conscience tells me over and against what holy God expects for me, I know that I'm not just wrong, I'm a sinner. And when I begin to look towards heaven and I begin to say, who is the God of heaven? And it just makes sense that that God is a holy God, that holy God and sinful Chris are separated, cut off. But the good news is this, and when I do go to God's word, I find that God says I've got a, I've got a plan, but not only a plan, I've got a help for you, Chris. What you couldn't do, I'm going to do. You couldn't reach me, but I've reached you. And out of heaven, God has reached down, and God has put a bridge now between earth and heaven, and that bridge is called the cross. His Son, our Savior, has died that we could have eternal life, Jesus but for a bridge to be any good, what do you got to do? You, you've got to put your faith in it. You've got to use it. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ can be a beautiful symbol. It can be a beautiful story that you read and hear. But until you come to the foot of the cross and you, you kneel at the foot of the cross and you look to the Savior and say, Jesus, I put my faith in you. You are my Lord and you are my Savior. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. The cross means really nothing to you and has no effect in your life. But the moment that you put your faith in that bridge, the cross of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, the Bible says you're saved. You're a child of God. You are forever in his hands. And nothing, no nothing, no nothing Satan does or says can ever take you from the hand of God. And I want to tell you this morning, there is an enemy his lies haven't changed, and he's still telling the same old lies. But I want to tell you that God is still sharing the same beautiful truths that he loves you and has a plan and has a way for you to go to heaven. Heavenly Father, this morning, I don't know who's listening, who's heard this. It may be right now. It may be in this actual hour that we've had this worship. It may be in a, a week to come or a month to come or this sermon is shared and given, or someone watches it. But in this moment of listening, God, the voice that's been heard has not been the voice of a man, but the very voice of God. The voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to that heart, saying, come to me. Put your faith in me. And Lord, we read this morning where Satan came whispering in the ear of, Satan, uh, of Eve, winning over her heart in that moment. But there's also another voice, a greater voice, a stronger voice, a voice out of heaven that calls us to you. And let that voice be heard today. And let that voice be heeded today. And let us put our faith in you. Whatever decision may need to be made, Lord Jesus, be it a, a prayer of salvation, a recommitment, Whatever it is, let your will be done, Jesus. In your mighty name, we say amen. We pray God's blessings upon you as you worship with us today. If God has led you to make a decision today, 
or Jesus, we would love to hear about it. We invite you to come to our website, cometothecross.net. Our online decision card will allow you to tell us about the decision that you're making. All decisions, all contacts are kept private and are confidential. However, we would be able to pray for you and perhaps I'd even be able to call you and pray with you about what God has led you to do if you so desire. So fill out the form, let us know, and just know that we love you and God loves you. And we're excited that you're taking this first step for God today. Thank you.